Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher with Fletcher Safety Consulting. Welcome to What's the Hazard? Uh, this is our podcast for safety professionals, and it's being brought to you by safety professionals. Actually, we have a quality professional as well today. So, um, uh, let's see. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you to everybody that's been listening to the podcast and commenting. The comments have been terrific, and we sincerely appreciate that. We hope you continue to listen and enjoy it, and you know, maybe even benefit from it in some way. So that's great. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, we do have the email address, uh, WTH hyphen questions at FletcherSafety.com. You can send in comments, questions, suggestions for topics, best practices. If you want to share something or have us share it for you. Uh, so please, uh, we want this to be our podcast. So please take advantage of that. I've already gotten some questions and, uh, I'm really excited about the direction that's going. I've got guests in the studio today, um, and I'll introduce them in a moment. I do, I do want to make one comment. One of the things that I want this podcast to be is, a, is a, a way to identify tools and resources. And I've been reading this book, okay? Uh, it's called The Power of Habit. It's by Charles Duhigg, I think. I think that's his name. It is really a fascinating book. And I think, you know, this discussion of habit formation, habit modification, I think this is really something that is... Uh, in potentially impactful in our industry, in the safety industry. I mean, we're always dealing with habits, good habits, bad habits. We're trying to modify habits. Uh, there is a section in here. There's a chapter by Paul O'Neill. I think I commented on Paul O'Neill. Um, he was the CEO of Alcoa Corporation at one time, the Secretary of the Treasury at one time of the United States. And um, there's a chapter on it. There are YouTube, YouTube videos available by Mr. O'Neill talking about safety leadership. Uh, management commitment, we would call it, I think. Uh, this chapter in this book is outstanding. Um, he talks all about his time with Alcoa, his commitment to safety, uh, how he really led this safety initiative in Alcoa. I, I think it's must-reading for everybody in the safety world. And um, if you have a manager or an executive in your company who's not understanding what safety leadership means, you should get him this book. Um, you know, mark the chapter on Paul O'Neill. So they take, I mean, if they don't understand what safety leadership means before reading this or seeing those YouTube videos, they'll certainly get it afterwards. Um, so uh, go out there and get this book. I, you know, I don't know Mr. Duig, um, and th I know this is not going to have the same impact that Oprah has, but, <laughs> you know, if two or three copies get sold, that's fantastic. So anyway, um, my guests today, Jim Steele and Abby Cherney, they are with Airlight Plastics here in Omaha. Jim has been on before. Um, if you want Jim's backstory, I think it was episode two or three. Jim is the VPP whisperer. We've already established that. <laughs> this is, like I said, man, this is a guy who understands safety management systems. And so thanks for coming back, Jim. And you've brought a guest yeah. with you. Abby Cherney is also with Airlight Plastics. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for coming, Abby. Absolutely. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Jim introduce you. Okay, and then you can correct everything he says. <laughs> there you go. Very good. So that's been my job is to get the hell out of Abby. <laughs> right, exactly. So, Perfect. Since I've met her, actually. Perfect. So I met Abby uh, in way of introduction that uh, I had a vision for the safety committee. I think in that earlier podcast, we talked about the safety committee and how that got developed. And um, uh, one of the things that I did, I wanted to set up a safety committee that was proactive, that was taking actions, mm -hmm. that was inspecting, and that was tracking safety improvements to completion. 
uh, that was pulling employees in and fi- you know finding ways to improve safety. Mm-hmm. Leading and indicators. Leading indicators, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. And so, um, so I set up the safety committee, but I needed someone that could take the initiative and run with it because we were going to have one committee on all three shifts, okay. so three, three committees. And I wanted at least to have one of them where someone would take off and run with it so that I could point the way to the other shifts that weren't maybe doing mm-hmm. so much and have them follow that lead. And Absolutely. so I talked to the plant manager and said, look, I need, I'd love to have three good leaders. Okay. Uh, but okay. If, if, if nothing else, I need at least one really good leader, somebody that can take the ball and run with it. Right. And, uh, and without hesitation, he mentioned Abby. Oh, His fantastic. Roger Wesley. And he said, he said, you need Abby Cherney. You need to talk to her. So I went and chatted with Abby, and and honestly, from that moment till right now, my biggest my biggest problem uh, has been just getting out of her way, mm-hmm. letting her run with it, and and uh, she can tell her own story about the things that she's done and the commitment that she's taken with safety, uh, and uh, and some other things with women in safety and some other things that she's done, but. Uh, but she took off with it, and I was able then to uh, we put together a scorecard, and and the scorecard for the first shift, which she was on, safety committee, was was rising. All the indicators were going in the mm-hmm. right direction, and the other shifts were kind of tanking, and they were having their excuses and things, and which you know you kind of right. would expect when you start right. something new. It wasn't like anybody's doing things wrong. It's just kind of the way of things. And so I was able then to point them in that direction and say, well, look. Uh, the first shift is able to do these things, so let's. We you know, have a make, model. We yeah, can. Yeah. So they have a. Uh, they have a. And so Abby was able to do that. She was able to set that example so that we could put together what I would consider one of the best safety committees in the nation. That good I, for I you. Think man. You could compare it. I think oh, that committee would. Well, she's run nodding as well. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. Uh, no, I think that is awesome. That take pride in something yeah. that you're doing like that. That's terrific. I think that, and one of the things that makes it really good, I think that we've set it up and such that even without Abby or I or any other particular person, mm-hmm. uh, I think that committee would continue to survive for months and maybe even years without me there. Oh, that's uh, a without someone yeah. taking you know the rain. That it would just go by itself for a good while. It's got plenty Fantastic. of momentum and, and, and good leadership. And a good structure set up. So yeah. anyway, but okay. so with that, that, with that, I would just give you Abby, and, okay. and she can tell kind of yeah, how yeah. it looks So fill in the blanks. What did he miss? And <laughs> so you were obviously with Airlight before this. So yes, I started at Airlight February 2011. I think Jim came on board in November 2011. Oh, exactly. Okay. Yes, um, and I was actually a production packer, entry level, knew zero background mm-hmm. of plastic injection, had nothing to do with safety. In fact, when Roger said he had to talk to me, I thought I was actually being in trouble for forgetting one of my <laughs> facial piercings at the time. Because right, right. um, I had not only my cell lead, but a supervisor keep telling me, Roger's looking for you. And Uh-oh. I was like, yeah. And I'd go in the bathroom Uh-oh. and check to make sure I you know, took all my piercings out. Um, right. And then he was like, you're going to be on the safety committee. And I was like, okay. And this was a little bit prior to Jim. And we met in a conference room. And I was like, this is disastrous. I have no idea mm-hmm. what happened because nothing was actually addressed. Um, and then that, that's Jim, typical for most committees, frankly, in my experience. Well, and then when Roger was like, Hey, you're going to work with Jim and make a safety committee. I was like, okay, I've, I've known how this goes before. Right. And sure enough, uh, Jim kind of expressed his visions of where he wanted to take it. And then I kind of expressed mine. I took his interpretation and kind of mine and we worked together mm-hmm. and created these safety committees. And if things were working really well and it was almost working I don't know if you could say too well, mm-hmm. where people started pencil whipping because we never found anything. Right, right. So then we'd go and change what we want to look for or 
Um, if something was huge on a topic, we would introduce that as a current event status and have them look at that. And okay. yeah, and but my main thing, I've worked up my way up in the company, became a quality engineer. Oh, so nice. now I travel around the Midwest region from Texas to Wisconsin, going into customer fill facilities as oh, yeah. Yeah, as their quality main contact person, and so so safety is not your designated role necessarily. This is something that you do as a collateral duty, or as just above and beyond. I mean, or is this something that you're doing? You're you're. This is time that you have committed to do this during your workday, or how does that work? Yes. So it originally started. I was the first shift safety committee person, um, and it was a duty that needed to be filled um, throughout Airlight. And then after working with Jim and hearing some of the stories that he let me know from previous jobs or his own experiences, I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. And mm-hmm. then I started going to the safety breakfast that the National Safety Council puts oh, yeah. on, heard their speakers, and you meet people that have gone through work-related injuries where they've lost a limb, and mm-hmm. it's like, I, I could help do something to prevent that. So mm-hmm. that kind of sparked my interest even more. And then I heard about their certification programs and I'm a competitive person, so I was like, oh, I'm going to get some of those. Good, good. Um, and kind of <laughs> present. More, more than Jim. <laughs> well, and kind of presented it um, to my boss at the time, and he's like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And at the time, not currently, HR had a kind of a different direction they wanted me to take mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. didn't want me to focus as much on safety. Um, and now we have new leadership, and they fully support uh, Gemini's safety effort and one of the things I kind of brought up and Jim made a good point. It's yes. If him or I were not there, it would still last and they would still handle things. That's terrific. Um, But another thing that I want to look at in order to be fully prepared. And this is how I kind of present is when Jim travels to our other facilities around the country, it's if something were to happen, who would be even close to as knowledgeable as Jim Mm -hmm. to handle something. Um, and I want to accept that responsibility mm-hmm. and try to help out and kind of be a dual threat for mm-hmm. Airlight. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it all soared that, that from there. That is remarkable. So you took the initiative, though, to, to educate yourself. I mean, to some degree, you, you know, seeking these certifications and things and additional. I mean, it, some, it really sparked <clears throat> something in you. There was mm-hmm. something about it that really appealed to you. Yes. Um, so I originally presented as, can I do this continuous education and get the basic ones like fundamentals of safety. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Um, and then when I kind of saw how passionate it mm-hmm. made me, um, I found information on the Nebraska Department of Labor grant, mm-hmm. which oh, yeah. also has a shortcut on the National Safety Council's main page. But that's what I look into. And I applied for a grant to do one of the certifications. And I said, you know, if I accept this grant money, I would like to come back and train all three shift safety committees on the topics I've taken anywhere from confined space. I just did respiratory mm-hmm. protection this morning, mm-hmm. um, fall protection, just all the topics they had. And then that would actually give the safety committees more scorecard points and get a way for the supervisors and managers to get more involved um, on topics that they might not necessarily know about or be as mm-hmm. involved in around airlight. I love that. I, I think that's, uh, that is great uh, advice for anybody who's trying to develop a safety committee and make them more effective is this is something that we've talked about in the past. I mean, if you're going to ask people to do these things, you have to train them and equip them to do it. So to go back and take those courses and then bring that back to the company and share that with your colleagues, I think that's a great idea. Good for you. That's really cool. 
Well, so one of the I mean, do, do you want to add something to any of that before I go on to the? No, that, that pretty much covers okay. it. I think. Yeah. I, I think that's and you're, and you're given time to do all this. I mean, this is allotted to you. Uh, that's big too because I get I hear a lot of people complaining about well we're not given time to do these things and and that's really um, short sighted on the part of management. I mean, if you want to have an effective committee or if you want to have uh, effective employee participation, you've got to allow them time to do that. It has to be, it can't be necessarily above and beyond. It has to be part of the workday. Uh, not not everyone is going to go above and beyond, unfortunately, and they can still be contributors, but, you know. One of the things I would mention that Abby, so we, we've set up the committee and Abby ran it for like four years, five years, yep. five years. And but we wanted to also do some kind of rotation so that we can get other participation, employee mm, participation. Good. So we set up a structure now where Abby is is the uh, is the safety coach uh, for the safety committee, and then we have a new leader, and we put in a policy that you can do it for a year. You have to do it for a year. Once you've done it for a year, you can become a coach. If you really like being the leader, you can do an additional year, mm. uh, and then at that point, you automatically become the coach. And so we would have two coaches then and a leader, and so we're building this. Uh, kind of a leadership, uh, kind of a deep well of leadership yeah, for that's, safety. That's really fantastic. Process, I like that. Right. So now we have, I think we have two coaches right now, and, and uh, we have one more that could. She's she's actually been a little over two years, so she can become a coach. And, and uh, I, I love that idea. Place, right? And they're, so they're learning skills. Right. I mean, they're getting some like leadership skills in the process. Oh and, yeah. So yeah. So you have leadership skills. You're you're running committees. Uh, one of the responsibilities for the safety committee is to track safety improvements through to correction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the safety improvements are tracked through a process that makes a manager responsible. So now you have a safety committee leader needing to talk to a manager about what's the status of the safety mm-hmm. improvement that you're responsible mm-hmm. for. So it puts you in a leadership role of having to talk, you know, right. kind of collaboratively with the managers about solving. Rather than as a subordinate, you guys are... Yeah, you're working both together working to toward correcting problem, these right. issues. So I like that idea. Yeah, so it works. Cool. It works really well, and, and Abby really set the tone for that, um, and, and you know gave us someone to point to. And so now that she's a coach, she can help other leaders mm-hmm. develop that same skill. Right. So, Very cool. Yeah. Well, one of the things originally that we had talked about, you know, a few weeks ago, um, something that I thought would be an interesting discussion was just uh, women in safety. Um, you know, I, I came from the Department of Defense. Uh, I started in safety many, many, many years ago, and uh, there were women in our safety office that were incredible mentors to me. Um, and I've worked with women in Department of Labor, certainly a number of women in Department of Labor. But I have to admit, uh, as an old white guy, my perception always was that th- my, these women were perfectly capable of doing the work but they seem to be, to me, and again, this is my perception only, but there seemed to be a disadvantage. You know, being a woman, I just worried about them when they would go down to job sites and, um, and, and what they would encounter. And I know that's kind of an archaic mindset perhaps, but, man, you know, these, the women that I came with, I came in with two women when I uh, onboarded at OSHA. There were three of us at the time, two young ladies and, and me, and I was an old man already at that point. And I don't know if it was kind of a paternal thing, but I worried about them going out to Western Nebraska job sites, even even here in town. Um, what, what's going on? I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. I know you're involved in that, and I know that's uh, important to you. There's a group that you're working with. That- yeah, even in, you know, we're moving on to 2020, there is still some women that I do work with that, I mean, to your point, they won't take them 
unfortunately, as serious as they take myself, I'm, if you haven't found out, I'm a pretty persistent person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of also helped build my safety reputation around mm-hmm. airlight because if I'm told no, it's okay. And then I ask again. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't have an excuse, it's like, well, we're going to try our theories out. Both of us together, mm-hmm. we're in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems that once all the excuses run out, it gets done. And mm-hmm. no one could actually tell me why it never did. Okay. Um, <laughs> right, right. So I like to play that it's fun little game. The origin of the excuse, <laughs> yes. right? Let's just defeat um, all those. And so now that I've done that enough times and have been successful with enough departments, they, mm-hmm. don't, they don't question my motives anymore. If they want to know something detailed about the project, I'm more than happy to share mm-hmm. any of it with them. But you've developed some cred. It took you some time to gain that credibility. Yes. Um, and that's helped. And so it's kind of frustrating working with certain women um, that I work on projects with because we will go into the same room and there will be no backlash at all from any of the gentlemen in the room when I'm sitting in there. Um, and then if one of the women on my team has to go to a meeting without myself because I'm double booked, mm-hmm. unfortunately, um, they are not shown that same respect mm-hmm. and do not have that credibility, um, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate, especially in the mm-hmm. modern day. Mm-hmm. So I try to help build everyone's confidence mm-hmm. as much as possible, you know, male or female. And so this group that the National Safety Council does, it's called Women in Safety, and we do encourage gentlemen to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but we meet, and it's kind of a network thing, and we actually start introducing tours to try to get, um, you know, kind of build the population of women in safety and mm-hmm. get them out of their comfort zones and really expand their knowledge and help us learn from each other. So we've had a couple meetings and I know that the next one is December 4th. It's a Wednesday at Stokes Bar and Grill oh, from four to six. Um, safety after dark is what we mm-hmm, decided to mm-hmm, call it. Mm-hmm. But there's several ambassadors like myself, Penny Lyons, Crystal Anderson, some what I like to call heavy hitters mm-hmm. in the know, Omaha area yeah, of the Absolutely. safety world. And we're just really trying to work and spread our message and really build a mission that women are just as powerful and can get the job done. And there's so many stereotypes that unfortunately that people are like, well, women can't really do this. And it's, you know, I'm a woman that never thinks a man could do a job better than myself, Mm -hmm. but I'm also a type of woman that doesn't have to spread that message. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have to spend my time saying I'm a powerful woman because if you build enough credit, I feel if you have something worth bragging about, you don't have to brag yourself. Someone Agreed. will do it right. for you. Right. Um, and so I just keep working on my reputation as trying to be the best safety right, leader no way to do it. as I possibly can. And if that's, you know, getting on the women in safety group and helping, mm-hmm. really, I've had several companies reach out to me and ask recommendations or topics and ask if I can come and tour their facilities. And I'm always willing to help. Oh, that's so. Fantastic. so this mm-hmm. is through the council. So the yes. uh, national safety council here in Omaha sponsors the group mm-hmm. and you meet monthly, did you say, or every other month or what's the frequency of that? So it's usually quarterly, but okay. if we have a phenomenal tour set up, which mm-hmm. October 11th was Airlight Plastics. Awesome. Yes. And before that, um, Sherry Meisinger at MUD hosted the water waste treatment facility. Oh, very cool. Um, and that got a whole bunch of recognition. I think we had almost 40 people and February 14th, 2020, we're actually touring the first national bank and we'll be doing an active shooter. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's really interesting. Yes. So so gentlemen are welcome. Is there a way to get more information about that or how would someone pursue that if they were interested? How would they get information about it? Great question. So on the national safety council main page website, um, 
there's actually a page directed for the women in safety and it'll list all the events you actually can register. It's no cost. And so you can just go online, put your name, um, actually add your email to the list. So anytime there's an event coming up, a reminder, you would get that email. They'll communicate with you and let you know. Oh, that's Absolutely. fantastic. I'd be interested in attending sometime. I think that's really interesting. Um, and I, I, I can say from my own personal experience that seeing other facilities, I mean, that, that's what I have done most of my career as an OSHA person and as a consultant. I visit lots of different facilities, meet lots of different safety people, and that has been a tremendous benefit to me you know, professionally to, to have that opportunity. So I think that's a, I love tours. I love seeing different facilities, meeting new people and, and, and even networking like this, having an opportunity to speak with other people about what they do that that's, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. I guess one of the things that kind of occurs to me as Abby's talking is that if you're looking to be a leader, if you're a woman and, and you want to um, move up into supervisory management skills levels, you know, the safety committees and the safety realm is a good place to get your start. No doubt. You know, and yeah, um, I would agree. Yeah. So you, you know, because it has all of the elements that you need to be a good leader, right. including overcoming barriers that you're going to have and resistance mm-hmm. that you're going to have mm-hmm. and doing it in an effective professional manner. And, and uh, you know, Abby's displayed all of those. And mm-hmm. if you don't already have those skills, it's certainly a good place to it's learn to them. To hone so, those. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Uh, and and uh, from the standpoint of employee involvement, uh, to to lead something like that, you know, the safety committee is uh, many of the safety committees that I've observed or met with. Um, they're they're led by managers, and they are or a safety manager directly. Uh, they don't they they might in they might include some employees. Or, or, or bring people in from different departments, but they don't give them much of an opportunity to, to, to lead projects. Or So you come and sit for an hour, listen to somebody talk, and you leave, and, and that's not really tapping into your potential or, or honing your skills. Yeah. I, I love that idea. I think that's a great idea. What else, what else, from a safety standpoint, then, what else are you doing? I mean, if, if you're obviously a leader of safety in your organization, how does that manifest itself besides just the safety committee? Are you doing other things? Or, I mean, you're doing audits and things like that, I'm assuming. And So other than also helping with the safety committee, I try to branch out and help all three shifts and not just focus necessarily on first shift, mm-hmm. um, just depending on what the situation is. But with the Nebraska Department of Labor grant, I actually then do get to work in depth on all three shifts and train them on the you know topic that I've recently taken. Um Yes. And other than doing just like extra training, because I like to focus on things, not necessarily just the OSHA standard. I'll throw in, I'm notorious for throwing in Simpson safety signs, like posters mm-hmm. on my PowerPoints. And they, I get the most um, involvement from the people attending my trainings when I put pictures that are usually from overseas of what they think is safe. <laughs> right, and so sure. some comical things, and it really grabs their attention Um, and then I actually borrow a lot of the equipment from the national safety council and they let me, you know, check it out and Mm -hmm. get to show people everything. When you say borrow equipment, what are you talking about? So like, um, Airlight doesn't have a mandatory, uh, respirator or respiratory program. And so we didn't have a lot of respirators lying around. We have, you know, the Mm -hmm. N95. And so they let me borrow some in, you know, great condition. This is what they're supposed to look Mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. And ones that aren't so good and this is what they shouldn't look like you know missing filters right. yeah they have accumulated pieces. a lot of stuff over yes. the years 
Yes. Old Dave Stolp and those guys pulling oh, this stuff yeah. out of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, Bill Riley. Exactly. Bill. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they're a phenomenal resource. And anytime I need anything, they're absolutely oh, willing. Good. We have a great relationship. Um, and so not only training on all three shifts, but the occupational therapist and myself um, and Jim all work on improving the ergonomics throughout Airlight. Mm-hmm. It's, um, we had a lot of one-size-fits-all machine and... You know, it's a family-owned business, and Brad loves giving back to the company, and he understands that we need to help make their jobs easier and comfortable. I mean, we work on a cement floor, and so we introduce anti-fatigue mats, and um, we've introduced stools onto the production floor. And I don't know a lot of people in manufacturing that use stools, but we presented a case with all the benefits, Mm -hmm. ergonomic benefits that it would give all the employees and we surveyed all three shifts, uh, the shift managers, the director of production. And we said, you know, you can watch all the leading indicators you want. Um, and then once you say, yes, we can move on and introduce more stools, we will, Mm -hmm. um, or what concerns do you have? And we'll try to address those before we move on to the next phase. And we've had phenomenal results Mm -hmm. that I currently just ordered 16 more stools for our printing department, which is just unheard of. And, and especially if anyone from Airlight is listening, it was a huge, <laughs> huge accomplishment that wow. we that was going head to head with the top management. Really? And yep, because well, I'll be again, honest with you, I think there is a there's a stigma about stools. You know, yeah. it's just like oh. it, they, they equate stools to lazy or you're mm-hmm. not working, whatever. If you're sitting, you're not working. Man, I, you know, I've, I go out and spend eight hours walking up and down a plant floor doing an audit or, a, or doing some industrial hygiene work or something. I am exhausted by the end of the day. I think I think it only makes sense to, you know, if there's a sit-stand opportunity or sit for a while, stand for a while, or whatever mood strikes you on that given day, I, I think that's really uh, forward-thinking. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, it's, the greatest benefit that I get out of it is having individual employees come up and just genuinely thank us for making their job easier. And we oh, try good. to... Um, directly answer all the concerns that any individual employee gives us, whether it's, can you look at the height of this conveyor or I'm moving so many boxes because we actually went through the entire production floor and ranked the machines from Mm -hmm. green is easy, red and yellow. I mean, the standard Mm -hmm. kind of color coding. Mm -hmm. And if we ranked it a certain color and production came back and said, you know what, this might be a little bit too hard. Let's color code it red and red means that's an automatic two hour rotation off that machine. Um, and we listen to them and we'll go back, look at our numbers and they're the ones working on it for eight hours, mm-hmm. not Renee and myself. So we'll make adjustments at their recommendations and bring them onto the team and make the, them feel like their mm-hmm. voice is heard. Yeah. Well, that's terrific. So I, I'm assuming Renee then is your occupational therapist. Yes, sir. Um, and you're doing these risk assessments. So are you using, so, you know, back, <laughs> Back when I was with OSHA, we actually had an ergonomic standard for about 30 days or 60 <laughs> days, whatever it was back between the Clinton and Bush yeah, administrations. Yeah. We were very excited. Um, but they identified a number of risk factors, and they actually quantified some of those things in this old standard. If you still have a, I mean, I don't know if anyone still has a copy of this old standard. I kept a copy because it's really a useful tool. They've kind of broken out and, and actually quantified, you know, these are the uh, risk factors a number of ergonomic risk factors, and they were even giving us some, you know, frequencies and repetitions and, you know, all of these different um, pinch strength, you know, different things like that to to at least use as a basis 
for assigning these risk assessments as you just described. So are you doing something like that then? You have a we have like a, a, a chart or a system or something that you're using to assign green, yellow, and red to these kind of two systems. Tasks. Abby and, and and Renee have really kind of headed up their ergonomic team and, mm-hmm. and done an amazing job. What do with you that. do, Jim? <laughs> I'd get out of I'm Abby's teasing, way. Man. You know, I'm teasing. Absolutely, but I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I people every every company I visit struggles with that. Yeah. So what? It's well. There's two two programs that we have. One is through this. Uh, uh, private company that uh, that uh, physical therapist works for mm-hmm. and they have uh, it's called ergo risk factor and mm-hmm. our ergo factor and mm-hmm. and uh, they've rated every job as as to how much stress it puts on the neck back shoulders knees uh, and they rated alpha beta gamma and alpha is that it would probably cause a, an injury to an otherwise healthy person mm-hmm. a beta is it might aggravate a pre-existing condition and a gamma is that it really wouldn't affect that body part okay and oh, so all the jobs have been analyzed that way but then they've taken that data, uh, Abby and, and, uh, and, and uh, Renee, the physical therapist or the occupational therapist, uh, and put together the red, yellow, green charts that, she, that Abby was talking mm-hmm. about. And, and, uh, and so every machine then rotates based on that red, yellow, green. Interesting. But, yeah, that's, um, that's a system that, they, that the company very we cool. hired brought in. Okay, so. interesting. Oh, I like that. Yeah, very much. That, that's relatively sophisticated. I mean, it's, you know, that's not an easy thing to do necessarily. Um, so you guys have done that kind of as a team, it sounds like, gone out. And, and so how long did it take you to get through your plant and do those assessments? Months. So I, in did. order for the color code to actually show on the production floor software, we have over a thousand different colors, containers, and lids. Mm-hmm. And so each single skew, like item number, would have to be categorized. And so we would take the ultimate stock number, which is just the general item number, see what that would be, and then I'd have to go through and create a graph of every available color that litter container could possibly run in and give that a color code. Mm-hmm. But we looked at how many cases per shift you move, how many stacks you put in a case, how high is the pallet of corrugate with the wooden pallet height before putting on the last case, um, the hand height, the horizontal reach, mm-hmm. um, the takeoff Almost like system. the NIOSH equation, the yes. lifting equation to yes. some degree, you're... Yeah. you're those factors you're considering. Yes. Okay. I love that. Wow. That, that is really big because again, as I, you know, um, one of the things that I, that I see regularly on my visits is a, a lack of sophistication when it comes to analyzing work sites for those types of issues. You know, we're all pretty good about identifying where, where guarding is necessary mm-hmm. around a chain and sprocket or what, you know, we, you know, we're all pretty much there unless you're out you know, way off the grid somewhere. I was going to say Western Nebraska. <laughs> no disrespect intended, you know, yeah, you uh, just off the grid bad. somewhere. Maybe you're not familiar with those things. But mo- most people do that reasonably well. But the types of injuries that most of our employees sustain, these sprains and strains and repetitive stress type of issues are, are a little bit more nuanced, you know. And um, One of the things that might be helpful to a smaller employer that doesn't have the resources to invest in that kind of uh, mm-hmm. ergo factor type program or spend the time that Abby and Renee spent putting together the uh, their basically it was the NIOSH lifting guide as it applied to the work that we're doing uh, is we have a little system or a little uh, just a picture gram, if you will, of, uh, of uh, uh, it's called the power box. And what we tell the engineers and anybody else in a real simple way that if you're hands are outside of the power box, then you need to do something at the, uh, to bring your hands back into the power box mm-hmm. area so that you reduce the strain on your back and shoulders. 
And the power box essentially is about mid-thigh to your shoulders and and, and Mm -hmm. height. It's about shoulder width, and it's from the center of your body out about two feet. So it's that imaginary box Mm -hmm. that if your hands are inside there, you have the most power that you can apply to whatever it is you're doing. And so it doesn't take as much strain to get it done. And so we have that picture, and everybody's aware of that, and that's become a term that everybody understands. So your employees have all been briefed on that. They kind of get that concept. Yep. It comes up routinely, and you'll hear them use that term from time to time. Really? And so that in itself is enough, I think, if you're a small employer, if you can really get that concept across that you want to set your work up so Mm -hmm. that the heaviest work and the most frequent repetitive work is inside the power box, that your hands are inside the power box. I love that idea. Love it. Then, yeah, then you can, you know, you're probably pretty good. the depiction of that, that reminder, that vision reminder yeah you could have that around the plant at different workstations where there's perhaps an opportunity to get outside that power box and maybe just you know to continually remind you to stay in that yeah uh, i really like that that's a great so suggestion. if anybody wants that's listening wants to see a copy of that i can okay uh, they could email you or whatever yeah well your your uh, your email address is posted on my website okay. so uh, if anybody wanted to contact you and i'll put i'll put, put abby's up there yeah. as well uh, uh, with along with this episode so if they want to reach out to you about either of any of those things that would be give an opportunity to do that but I, I love that idea I think you guys have been pretty good about visuals visual cues I mean one thing that I've always been impressed with about airlight is that you, you uh, employ a number of of, of different uh, language mm-hmm. populations you have a number of different languages spoken in your workplace Right. which presents interesting challenges. Oh, yeah. And you guys have always been really thoughtful about how you train and, and inform uh, based on the fact that you've got a lot of different languages in your plant. Right. Can you talk about that just a little bit? I think, I think pictures talk about it, yeah. Pictures is something that you have done, and I love that idea, a well, visual cue. Pictures, we're also doing, uh, they're doing English as a second language, so they offer that, uh, I think it's 30 minutes before the end of the shift, is that right? Yes. Uh, so on each shift, they offer 30 minutes before the end of the shift, and people that want to learn English as a second language can go and attend that. So let me get this straight. They're going in on company time, right? Uh, being paid by the company, right? 30 minutes at the end of the day to go in and talk and learn English. Yeah. And wow. so if you wanna if you wanna hire, wow. if you're looking for a pool of employees, then that's a it's a really good pool. We have uh, what are the languages? We have French and I don't what Swahili. We have Vietnamese. We have Spanish, uh, French. Spanish, French. Oh my. Uh, so, yeah, and we've really embraced that as a company, mm-hmm. that, um, that multicultural, um, mm-hmm. you know, just open to, to really anybody. And mm-hmm. it's, I'll bet you have great potlucks. <laughs> do you? Yeah. I'll bet yeah. you do. They yeah. Are, yeah. They're amazing. I'll yeah. bet. That's they're fantastic. Yeah. But I love that idea, too, man. Um, that, that is, that's incredibly generous. Right. Well, I, we, had a, we had a policy at one point that you had to be able to speak English in order to, to work there, and you had to be able to communicate in English, and... And uh, uh, obviously, the unemployment gets low enough that you really want to. You're looking for a, another uh, mm-hmm. more of a pool of of potential employees. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, our second shift kind of opened up the idea and wanted to pilot the idea of of bringing people on. And I think you have to go into it understanding that you're going to have certain things you're going to have to spend more time on. So, if there's a quality problem or there's a safety problem you're going to have to get an interpreter over mm-hmm. with you, and that's just someone else that works alongside them right. uh, to help interpret it. So now fixing what would be a five-minute problem has turned into a 20-minute uh, conversation mm-hmm. because you're having to explain that. But the benefits on the other side of that, I mean, you have to understand you're going to have to suffer that 
in order to have the benefit on the other side. And I think Airlight has really embraced the idea and understands that we're just going to have to spend a little extra time in some areas mm-hmm. in order to get this great value on the other mm-hmm. side of that. And as long as you keep that in mind, I think yeah, that's it's an really, easy sacrifice to make. Yeah, I, I re- that's really interesting. I think that's cool. Good for you. Um, good for you. Now, do you um, do you tend to focus more on technical language? I mean, when you are doing this English as a second language, are we talking about trying to explain what lockout tagout means, or are we actually just starting from scratch and just teaching people English in some I've not fashion? Attended what is, classes, how does that work? I'm not real sure. Have you been to any of them? I mean, it would I certainly have... be an opportunity to, to explain some of these, I, chal- I mean, challenging technical terms that we use. Right. I have not attended any of the classes, but I do think another thing we do a great job on at Airlight is that anytime we have new hire orientation, we do have interpreters, depending on what mm-hmm. language is spoken in that room, we have interpreters for each group. Wow. Um, and second shift is also piloting, changing some uh, safety documents, translating them That's into right. the mm-hmm. languages. We just received the Spanish Spanish one, and I think Vietnamese is next right. oh, um, wow. on certain if there's any injury reports or near misses and stuff, we're, we're translating some of the safety documents. Oh, nice. One of the things, too, universal. that uh, and Amanda, our second shift safety committee mm-hmm. person, is heading that up. And so Amanda, and I think she's also part of the women in safety as well. She participates in that. And so um, she's she's heading up translating some of these documents? Right. That's one of the safety improvements she's tracking, mm-hmm. and she's kind of heading that up. And one of the idea that she and I have kicked around, we haven't done anything with it yet, but we're going to, is that is translating them into uh, an audio recording. Oh, so yeah. that if there's a document, a choice of doctor, as an example, is a, is a document mm-hmm. that you have to explain to the person in terms that mm-hmm. they understand uh, and they may, even if you translate it into their language, they may not be able to read it. Mm-hmm, sure. But they, almost all of them, all people can understand their the verbal. verbal. So we'll just sure. have someone read that document. Uh, and so they can, dub, they, we can put a, a link to the audio of it and just double click that. And they can hear what that document wow. says before they sign it. Wow. So well, Parkville Media can help you with that. Yeah. And I'm assuming. What's the uh, website address for Parkville Media? <laughs> they can help you translate. I don't know if Pat can actually do the translations, but... He can help you with the recording portion of it. Very good. That is amazing, man. That is amazing. So I am really things, impressed. I didn't I, realize you were doing that. Yeah, and that's what one of the things that I really like about the safety committee is that it and is that it, we have these safety improvement trackings that we do, and we just take one at a time. And uh, well, we do more than one at a time. But there's we have you know a number of safety improvements that we're constantly making, and once those are done, we're bringing up more and more and more. Where so are the ideas coming looking. from? I mean, these ideas for safety improvements, where, where are you getting that? Employees. So we let anyone in the company bring up a safety idea, whether it's their concern, and we'll instantly track it. And we'll either meet up with the employee and say, yes, this is a concern we're going to track, or no, it's not a concern. This is why it meets mm-hmm. requirements. Um, and then we do not close it until we meet with a person that suggested the improvement, and they agree, yes, this meets what I was looking for, this addresses my concerns, and then we'll close it. So, so when you have made, so when you've made the corrective action, or so you will consult with the uh, the person who brought forward the concern, and obviously some of those are not valid or they're not within the safety realm. So you have to, I, I guess, disappoint people or at least inform them why on occasion. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when you come up with a corrective action, do you actually? interact with them about what we intend to do or do you make the correction and then as you said come back and say has this fixed it this has resolved your concern or 
Well, that's how, a, that means it sounds like they're really involved in the process. So that's a learning curve depending on um, <laughs> the shift. So before it's, we used to go out and make the correction of what they thought we wanted mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or that they wanted. And we've made corrections to things that were not relevant to their uh, concerns. Course. So then we started being way more proactive with them. We'd listen to their concerns, go out and they would show us, this is why I'm talking about um, mm. And we actually have the great reputation as far as the safety committee goes that a lot of people will report stuff safety or non-safety related because we get things handled mm-hmm. um, if you to want their liking. Take it to the safety committee. <laughs> funny. Yes. Yeah, so you'll take some obscure thing that's really right. not related to safety at all, but they'll tag it somehow. Thin little <laughs> right. thread, they'll tag right. safety to it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, no doubt. And so I'll usually take their concern if it is a non-safety issue and point them in the direct direction, whether it's, you know, procurement or quality right. and say, this is your contact and let's get it. Oh, talk about terrific. We'll set up a meeting and stuff. Yeah. We don't just dismiss just it. Just drop them. Yeah. Well, what oh, makes it effective wow. too is that that's really the safety improvement tracking is kind of a placeholder for an idea. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean they have to do it, mm-hmm. but, uh, but the man, there's a manager responsible always assigned and the manager is responsible to, de- to ultimately make the decision about how and when and, you know, okay. under what measures is right. going to be fixed. Uh, Abby and I and the committee's responsibility is to make sure that it meets an OSHA standard if it applies, that mm-hmm. whatever their fix is meets that we standard. We want it to be compliant. Right, certainly. it's got to be at least above and beyond that mm-hmm. or at least meet that. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's just a good idea or a best practice, then the manager has a lot more discretion as to whether or not they're going to do it. Um, and if it's a hazard, we have to address the hazard, but you know they, they have a lot of discretion as to how they go about it. Uh, but the owner is the person that brought it up typically. Mm-hmm. And what happens, and a lot of the listeners could probably relate to this, is that you do a work order, maintenance comes out and fixes it, but they fixed one and forgot the other three. Mm-hmm, sure. Or when they got out there, it didn't exist because the machine moved or something happened and they just didn't see it, so they closed the work order and it doesn't get fixed. And then the person that brought it up, it never got fixed. Right. And so uh, closing that loop is critical uh, for the safety, but also it gives the person the, that brought it up, it gives them some ownership that, wow, this right. thing came all the way back and they talked to me about it. Mm-hmm. And even if there was a decision not to do something, which is rare, but it happens, if that conversation happens back with that person, he's 10 times more likely to bring up the next thing. And it mm-hmm. could be a quality issue. It could be a productivity right. issue. If he knows he's being listened to, then he's going to talk. He or she's going to talk. Yeah, absolutely. It makes no difference to you. You want yeah. that information yeah, regardless information, of which department we'll it falls it. We'll into. We'll make a decision and... And uh, and we'll do something. Well, we you know we we uh, talk about safety culture all the time, and I think to the point of overuse perhaps, but it's really about attitude. And if people feel like they're being heard and and uh, they're seeing things change, I mean, there, there's no better way to gain employee confidence than than for them to feel like they're being heard and things are happening. Yeah. And, and there's nothing more defeating than for them to be bringing things to your attention and nothing happens, you know, that you lose them and then they're gone. Yeah. And, and those are opportunities you don't often get back. So they're nuggets of gold. Uh, yeah, they, they really are. And to get that information, I mean, again, you, how many employees do you have? Hundreds. Well, we've got a, a thousand total, about 800 okay. in the plant. Yeah. So. I mean, 800 literally sets of eyes out there watching all the time. If you're getting feedback from even 10% of those, right. you, you are really, you know. It's kind of daunting. One of the one of the complaints about the safety improvement tracking is that uh, the manager feels like you know things are getting dumped on their plate, and everybody's busy, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. it's you know it's a, just a natural sure. thing that you know oh here's one more thing I've got to get done, mm-hmm. um, and so we try to be sympathetic and understanding about that, and 
and people are getting really good at spreading it out. And, you know, sometimes even maybe the person that brought it up, give them some authority to, to address mm-hmm. it to the extent oh, yeah. that they have the authority and capacity to do, do it. Do they typically provide a recommendation as well? I mean, if they have a concern, do you ask them to give some kind of a, you know, what would you do to correct this? Or Yes and no. And some of them don't actually ever know if it's a safety concern. They just will look at a situation and say, is that safe? I don't mm-hmm, really know. Mm-hmm. And some of the times they just want information on mm-hmm. how is this allowed? Um, and that's something like Jim says, the safety improvement tracking is a placeholder so we can go back and follow up and say, hey, you know, what did you need to know? What do you want to know? So I can get a better understanding to help it get corrected. Mm-hmm. So how does that information actually come into you from the floor? I mean, how, how is the information being communicated? So... Whether it's a shift manager, safety committee person, usually the chairperson, safety committee, myself, um, if we have any concerns, we actually have an automated system on our SharePoint at Airlight, mm-hmm. where on our safety page where you can go and fill it out. And so this is so the employee can then upload it into this uh, SharePoint or something. Yep. Or? So if they have computer access or if they don't, they'll just go into the office and say, "Hey, I want you to look at this," and that's where we can track their name of who input okay. it, and then we have drop downs of. Um, if it fits into a drop down, whether it's ergonomic, uh, oh, sure. might be a pinch emergency point emergency. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And all of that is tracked and we kind of give a subject matter on the top, a topic for it. And then an email gets sent to J- Jim, myself, um, and the manager. Okay. Yep. Very good. And so everyone's fully aware. So, the so they don't necessarily have to be computer, uh, well, they do savvy or comfortable necessarily. Anybody can do it that has access, but mm-hmm. typically the, the, the avenue is that someone would have a safety concern. They would talk to a safety committee person. A lot of the safety committee people could open one up, but typically they would take it to the safety committee leader, okay. and then they would open up that safety improvement tracking, or they might take it to a manager, and the managers, the shift managers all know and can track them that way. Okay. Um, so so it, it ultimately, as soon as it gets into that safety tracking system, it's alive until we decide we, you know, it's, it's been okay. Resolved it's captured. It's, yeah, it's captured. It's going to be followed. It's going to be followed okay. up. The safety committee meetings meet once a month and we always have directors and executives there. Part of our scorecard actually is, is uh, how many uh, executives or directors were at the safety committee mm-hmm. meeting. And mm-hmm. so they get points for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the shift gets points. So you've incentivized them attending. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so the, that's, a, that's a leading indicator, Jim. I oh think. really? <laughs> <laughs> This is a, probably a conversation for another day, but we're going to talk about that OSHA uh, white paper, I guess we'd call it, on leading indicators that right. just came out. I so, was excited uh, about that when I first saw it. It is. Yeah, I mean, you know, better late it. than never. Yeah, it's the government, but it's, yeah. you know. No, it's it like is good. It is good. Right I was pleased as well. Well, you guys do so many things well. Um, you know, one of the things that I really want this podcast to be is just a, a mechanism for distributing some of these best practices out into the into the safety community what else do you guys do that you really feel strongly about something that you've done that you think is innovative um i know that you guys do a lot of interesting stuff with like your emergency drills and things like that you've done some unique things with that we've (laughs) talked about that uh it doesn't have to be that but that's one thought but anything abby anything that you think you guys really do well i mean i don't want to put you on the spot so, which I've just, which I've just done. Yeah, I know. This is, this is, I know. Tell them about the danger ahead. You remember that? Oh Uh, yeah. Um, so our emergency drills, when you do them so often and we haven't had a huge life altering emergency happen, Mm -hmm. thankfully Mm -hmm. at Airlight. And so a lot of people get complacent and they just fall in line. And when we do emergency drills, they'd go out the same door 
And so um, I think Jim came up with the idea of kind of spicing it up. So we decided to get a Grim Reaper outfit. And mm-hmm. I worked with our graphics department to make a sign of danger ahead and put like this Grim Reaper on this sign. And I went into full costume, full mask. No one knew that was me. And I stood in front of the main door that I would say 70% of the employees go out. And I just held up that sign and would not let them pass. And then all of a sudden they just stopped and they're like, what? <laughs> and I didn't say anything. And every time someone would try to pass, I would just say, you can't go that way. It's locked. And then it was kind of somewhat panic set in. Mm-hmm. And then the director of engineering came out and was like, come out this door and redirected everyone. Um, but it would have been interesting to see how long people stood there just staring at me before someone stepped in. <laughs> Realized there's another door. And all of them. <laughs> yes. That, you know, I love that idea. I was in a facility yesterday and I asked about their emergency procedures and their HR slash safety person told me that exact same thing. We recently did a fire drill and everyone went out the front door. The door that they come in in the morning is the door that, and this probably speaks to this habit formation, mm-hmm. you know, they, they all went out the same door that they came in, which as we know, may or may not be uh-huh. available to them. And so they were going to retrain everybody on the, the, the door options in their respective departments and do it again to try to get people to realize you don't have to come back out the door right. you came so in. Have them put a Grim Reaper right by the door. I love that idea. Halloween's yeah. over. They're cheap. No, I love that idea. And yeah. and again, that was, I just love the creativity of it. Yeah. As you said, I think complacency is something that we all struggle with. Um, and so just anything you can do to kind of spice it up a little bit. Well, we did a, something a little different too. We did drills for quite a while where we just ran everybody outside and they gathered up. I would also... Um, ask certain people from each department to stay back, and I would secretly ask them to stay back. Mm-hmm. And then the test was that the uh, the incident manager out front had to find out who all's missing. So uh-huh. each of the supervisors had to do a head count and had to tell him who was missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, actually, to my surprise, every time they were able to come up with all of the names really? of the people I that love were missing. That so idea. They, I love that idea. Love that idea. That was yeah, and that was a an innovative thing. So we did that a number of times and they were really good at that. So if you're really good at it, you, you know, you want to keep doing it, but probably mm-hmm. ought to find something you're not good at and try mm-hmm. to improve that. Mm-hmm. So what we did then this last two years, our drills have been what I call small group drills. And I, I have the supervisors, uh, the supervisory level, you take your small unit and you take them and show them where the, their exits are from their area uh, and give them the options of where to go. They show them also where the AED, we have AEDs in our plant, mm-hmm. uh, where those are and when they might need to go get those so they know physically know exactly where they right. are. Uh, and then they show them, well, the gathering location and, <clears throat> and the pool stations along the way so they know where those are and the fire extinguishers. So they took them around, and the drill was more of a, an actually go touch all of these things. Oh, and that's see a great idea are. too, man. And then the supervisors wow. get to do that, and then they get to talk to their team. I'm going to be standing over by this tree, and I want you guys to come find me. And and it, I, it I think that is it. really – that is a great observation. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think we, all, we just take that for granted that people will know where the fire extinguishers are. They'll know where the poles are. The fire poles, they'll, they'll, they'll know those things, know where the uh, and they do not. You know, when I was with OSHA, when I was, uh, when I was the compliance assistance person, I was responsible for a lot of office training, you know, training the guys and gals on different right. things. And I can remember one time we were sitting around the conference table, and I asked them, does anyone know where the fire extinguisher is? And 
these are 10 of the most highly trained safety <laughs> professionals in the state of Nebraska. And I got 10 blank stairs. And so we all walked out down the hallway to the little um, box where the fire extinguisher was. And I think if you assume those, if you take that for granted or you assume people know that stuff, you're mistaken. Well, I've got a good example with that at one of our plants, uh, a, a different plant in a different different uh, state. I was doing an audit, and so I, I they had taken done their small group drills, and I just wanted to find out how effective they were. So mm-hmm. I went and grabbed some employees randomly and said, hey, take me and show me where the AED is. And they knew approximately where it was. They said, it's, oh, it's up in the supervisor's office. Mm-hmm. I said, great, come show me. Well, they would walk in the supervisor's office, and they went straight to a cabinet that they thought it was in and looked, and it wasn't there. It was hanging outside the cabinet, mm-hmm. and they looked all around the room and didn't see it. And so we realized that just taking them up and pointing at it is probably not good enough. They really need to go touch it, mm-hmm. you know, and actually mm-hmm. see where that, it is. Because wow. he stood outside the window, the managers did, on all three shifts, and just pointed at it. Yeah. And, I mean, it hadn't occurred to me that that would be a problem, but I just – Tested it kind of. I on, think that's a great idea too. And realize, yeah. yeah, we've got some I, I, another little improvement here. These are fantastic suggestions. I, I I think that is really important. One of the things that we would do when I was with OSHA, um, rather than just spend you know countless hours digging through programs and things and employers programs, it, it's a lot easier just to challenge one of the employees to demonstrate that they understand the process. Whether that be, you know show them a chemical container that's on their work area and just say, can you show me the data sheet for this or, or whatever? Just implement the process. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can do that in a lot of different ways. But I love the idea of, can you show me where this emergency equipment is? Do you know where the eyewash is? Can right. you walk me over to the eyewash? Right. Probably not. I think, but that's a great way to challenge the employees to make sure that they are actually in possession of that And I would say it's one of the things to, that, if you're doing that, when you do that, is is not to make it a gotcha, you did it wrong thing, mm-hmm. is we're trying to discover a way to improve, and, mm-hmm. and, um, of course. and that's it. It's all about positive, hey, we look at this, we found a great way to improve mm-hmm. uh, our overall safety and to so present I, it to management that way and everything else. It's I not get it gotcha now. You're the, you're the idea guy. <laughs> I get it now. Your role is to come up with these ideas. Abby implements <laughs> these things. That What a great... It's a great collaboration. Abby and I have what a great, great collaboration, collaboration that yeah. is. No, but I... I these are things that I've never even considered, and I've been I've been doing this a long time. And uh, well, Abby comes up with a lot too. I don't know. I didn't mean to. That's true. No, we're an absolute tag team. I'm getting way <laughs> built up, way more than I should be. <laughs> no, no, that's not what he says. No, no. absolutely. Um, actually, a lot of my passion within safety came from Jim, just with all of his real life experiences. Mm-hmm. And him and I have the same characteristic as we don't really take no well, especially mm-hmm. if. Um, only in the sense of safety where we know it's, it's really it, it could be dangerous. Absolutely. Yes. And so I feel like Jim and I are willing to butt heads with anybody and really not stand down until mm-hmm. it gets addressed. And I think our reputations are definitely built up and we're credible enough that we don't get that pushback anymore. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, it was rough. And especially with being in quality and safety, I have two targets on my back because mm-hmm. With our with us being a you know food facility mm-hmm. and packaging, you can't chew gum. And being in quality, you get mm-hmm. looked at for everything. And then safety, it's like I'm there. Employees throughout the facility waiting, just waiting for you to mess up. To so pounce, you are, of course. So you are constantly on a swivel and a, always on the go. And so I think that has helped as well. But That's Jim and fantastic. I are absolutely a team. Well, everybody should be so <laughs> lucky to have somebody that they collaborate with collaborate with so well in their, and those people are out there. That's what I I tell my, 
I tell folks that I interact with, you have those people in your facility, tap into them, you know, right. utilize them, you know, don't try to pound a square peg into a round hole, somebody that's not interested, because I do believe that, you know, if you can find those people in your organization that are going to give you that discretionary energy, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to go above and beyond, um, tap into them and they will lead, you know, the majority of people are just waiting for, to, to be shown a direction to go, either negative or positive. Yeah. And so if you have some people that are going to willing to out there and do these things and, and lead by example and by action, most of the people will follow along. Yeah. You know, I they just want somebody to show them the way. Our experience, I think. Yeah. There's always going to be a few outliers. There's a few people that will never get on board, but that's okay. Well, and I think you know, those people also, you know, shouldn't be looked at ne- necessarily negative. Those are just people that are going to teach you a, a, a lesson. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to, you know, hone your your skills of persuasion or, you know, come up with, <laughs> True. you know, with other yeah. ways. And, and Airlite is a really good company in that uh, we don't default at all to the, you know, it's either our way or you hit the highway. They they really, it's a collaborative um we don't escort people to the door. Mm-hmm. We're just not that kind of company. And, and, uh, and it's really actually refreshing to work that way because then it, it taxes you to, to be able to work with people and figure out what are their, what are their motivations and, and how can I get them on board? And, you know, and, uh, it can be a challenge, that, that's, you know? but yeah, it's, that's a, it's a good challenge. Mm-hmm. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. So. Well, we're, we are running up on our hour. Um, anything, any parting words or anything that you'd like to say, you know, any, any in conclusions? I would like to just conclude with that, with just the encouragement of anybody that's new out there, or if you're new into safety, or if you're a company owner, and uh, safety is something that is just kind of a lateral thing that you have to worry about from time to time after someone gets hurt, is to really look at it as an opportunity to hone a lot of really good skills with people for leadership, and that you can put someone in a leadership role. You can test them out and see how well they're doing for as a leader. You can find the opportunities to train them and make them good leaders through just making them responsible for safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't just throw it on them and walk away, though. Just, you know, work with them and and, um, and use that as an opportunity to, to identify your leaders and to make good leaders. And mm-hmm. then they are going to create an extraordinarily good safety program for you if you get out of their way and let them do it. Yeah, no doubt. That's terrific. And I would just say, um, other than thank you for having me, is definitely reach out to the resources. I mean, if you're taking classes or if you go to safety breakfast or after hour networking events, um, use your resources because I reached out to OPPD, for instance, when I was doing my electrical standards Mm -hmm. test, like, hey, do you have any fun stories or things that I should be adamant about telling Mm -hmm. all these groups of people I'm training? Or I reach out to MUD for a training clip that they did that I thought with the Omaha fire department, that was phenomenal. And I wanted people in my um, company to get to see other companies and how hard they're actually working Mm -hmm. as well. And everyone's doing this huge collaboration throughout, you know, Omaha and the country to try to make everyone safer. And like I said, I would just use your resources and I hope you do share my email because I'd be more than happy to get and answer any questions. Oh, that's fantastic. Guys, thank you very much for being here. Um, I, I almost feel like I need to work harder after listening <laughs> to you two. I mean, that, that is remarkable. I, I commend you both for what you're doing. That's fantastic. And I love the innovation and the and the willingness to, to try something new, you know, to change the norm a little bit. I think that's fantastic. I think we do kind of go back to the same well a little bit too often, and it's 
it's really refreshing to hear these new ideas. I hope I hope everyone appreciates them as much as I have. So let's plan on doing this again sometime soon. And okay. um, everybody out there, keep up the good work. We're we're with you. We'll help you any way we can. So thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, Doc. Talk to you later. Good job, Doc. A Parkville Media Production.